Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Always appreciate being a part of your day and what a day it is shaping up to be. If you've had a chance to take a look at the commodity markets this morning, you might have noticed that prices are moving and they are moving to the upside. Concerns are growing over in Eastern Europe that there might not be a reopening of this Ukrainian grain export quarter, excuse me, Black Sea export quarter definitely impacts both the Ukrainians and the Russians. And the potential of that not coming back as we get closer to May 18th is seeing some bids finally return to these markets. We'll discuss that in segment three with Darren Newsom. He's also going to dig into some of the government numbers we got released last week from the USDA. And then in segment two, we're going to talk with John Baranek, meteorologist over at DTN Weather, about what he is keeping an eye on as the forecast comes further into focus for those American farmers looking to get their seed in the ground here this week. We are expected to talk with Iowa's senior Senator Charles Grassley here in just a moment, of course, following the news of Proposition 12 in California being upheld last week by the United States Supreme Court. The impact for that is largely going to be felt in the state of Iowa and in North Carolina. Those are the two largest pork producing states. And we're going to get Senator Grassley's perspective on how this ruling could impact the state and what he sees coming down the line in the future as ways for Iowa pork producers to respond. We'll try to get the senator on the line here. In the meantime, we do continue to get incredible news from the meat packing industry. Over the past three years, when we've talked about packers, it's been in the context of their massive per head profits. Ever since we saw the coronavirus pandemic take off, we have seen packers making three, four, five, sometimes $900 a head at different times processing beef over the past three years. Consumer demand has been very, very strong, and there's been an ample supply of cattle out in the countryside. Well, if you're in the market, you know that changed here about three weeks ago. The available supply of cattle has continued to decline amid that ongoing drought across the Southern Plains. And finally, we have seen the absolute number of cattle come to a point that packers are having to scramble to fill their kill schedules, and that is hurting that packer profitability. We heard early last week from Tyson Foods, their quarterly income in the beef packing space dropped from $638 million in first quarter 2022 to $8 million in 2023, a decline of $630 million in revenue, largely because they had to spend an additional $375 million on fat cattle. Well, on Friday, we had an outlook from JBS, the Brazilian packer. They released a net loss in the first quarter of this year, $294 million. And of course, JBS SA is a Brazilian company. They train on the uh, Brazilian uh, stock market. They are trading in Brazilian reals at one, excuse me, at one4 5 billion real loss. They also note that the major increase in costs, certainly transportation were a factor. Labor is a factor as well. But the real challenge is going to be, um, excuse me, is going to be 
the higher prices they are paying for live cattle. That is the challenge that we are seeing right there. They note that their net revenue was a 15% drop down $2.5 billion, largely because of lower sales volumes and those higher prices they are paying on beef. They also noticed specifically to JBS that their revenues for from exports rather dropped about 40% in the first quarter 2023. That's a huge drop, definitely contributed to JBS's more lackluster showing than Tyson's. And as you can recall, folks here on this program, that hang up on export value for JBS was due to the outbreak that uh, Brazil saw and failed to report in a timely manner of um, of atypical bovine spongiform encephalopathy. That happened back in February. The country of China, after that outbreak happened, told the Brazilians, no more beef from you guys for a while. And that cut their export revenues 40% in that first quarter 2024 or 2023 rather but i think this is proof we've seen folks in the cattle industry producers both cow calf folks and feedlot operators saying when is this leverage going to change when will the leverage be back in the hands of the cattle producer and i think what we're seeing in these quarterly report reports from the major meat packers is that that leverage is back we've got that situation right now for cattle producers and it is working to their advantage we did just receive word senator grassley is tied up in the hearing he will be joining us on tomorrow's aoa he sends his apology but there is a lot happening in washington dc this morning we will be bringing that conversation we will be talking about proposition 12 here with uh, senator grassley but we'll catch it on tomorrow's aoa ladies and gentlemen in the meantime while we're thinking geopolitical issues an ongoing one in the cattle space has been cool country of origin labeling back in 2014 m cool mandatory country of origin labeling the requirement that all meat sold in this country had labels saying it was made or where it was produced that was pulled away in 2014 there has been consternation in the animal uh, sector ever since and a push from folks in it to try and get some sort of label back on there so consumers would know where the meat came from that they were purchasing as of now there is a coalition or excuse me a coalescing around an idea for a voluntary product of the USA labeling does not check everybody's boxes still very much a work in progress but the big challenge has been finding a way we can label products as coming from America and still not compete too much against our foreign imports. At the end of the day, we've got to stay a player in the global trade scene because we need to make sure we can sell the rest of our stuff to these other countries. So in the beef space in particular, one of our major trading partners is Canada. And Canada had big issues with the mandatory country of origin labeling rule. There have been back and forths happening uh, between the Canadians and the U.S. government on this new proposal, the voluntary proposal. And last week, Canadian officials came out, specifically Aaron Alexander, who's the deputy head of mission to the United States. And they said that this voluntary labeling of specific food products uh, produced by U.S. companies would not prompt Canada to make an international trade case over the issue. Basically, uh, Aaron came out and said, as long as it remains voluntary, as of now, we don't think the Canadians would have any issues with it. However, he did go on to say that he hopes both the U.S. and Canada continue to hold, quote, constructive exchanges with their counterparts in either country to make sure the USDA consultation process moves forward into policy. We'll continue watching 
what's happening here with country of origin labeling listeners to this program know there are strong opinions on both sides of that issue and those opinions are now being shared this is a year to get active in washington dc share with your legislators share with regulators as you get the chance what you'd like to see what would impact or have the biggest impact for your operation now is the time to do that well folks we have been talking a lot about the strength of u.s beef imports or exports rather over this past year and they've been moving a lot into china in fact u.s beef exports into japan uh, not not china rather i apologize japan have been so strong they have now triggered a higher tariff on imports of japanese beef um uh, excuse me i was backwards u.s beef imports from japan have been so strong that now we are going to see a higher tariff going on to those products. So if you are a buyer of Kobe beef from Japan, do expect to see prices climb about 26.4% as that will be the new tariff going on some of those products. Stay here, folks. We'll talk weather with meteorologist John Baranek when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. 
But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and now it's time to talk weather. Meteorologist John Baranek of DTN Weather joins us next. And John, this past weekend, we saw a lot of welcome rainfall across a lot of this country. Who got what? Yeah, Mike, we did see a lot of rainfall. Uh, we had kind of the perfect setup um, to produce a bunch of rainfall last week. Uh, what we saw is we had this nice big ridge of high pressure across most of the country, but it wasn't very uh, wasn't very strong. It was enough to produce a lot of uh, some, a lot of good warm temperatures and bring some good moisture up from the Gulf of Mexico and uh, uh, trough of up uh, an upper level trough over the southwest kind of meandered around for a bit and then eventually got into the plains late last week and that provided all the energy to produce the storm so we had kind of the kind of perfect meeting of heat moisture and uh, energy to kind of produce widespread showers across a lot of the middle of the country um, some of the areas that saw the, the heaviest rainfall were actually some of the drought areas uh, western nebraska through northeast colorado saw a lot of two to four inches of rain. There were some areas in there that were much heavier than that, uh, some six to eight inches in there. So you're getting a couple months worth of rain over some of those drought areas might help out. But um, even areas in, in, in the western Dakotas, southern Minnesota, uh, southern uh, Missouri, all the way down through Texas. I mean, there were many, many areas that saw over two inches of rain uh, last week, which um, if, if any of those areas are in drought, uh, they definitely saw improvements uh, there. So we'll have to check and see how that turned out on the drought monitor on Thursday. Um, but for the most part here, uh, we saw a widespread reduction in drought. Um, it didn't hit everybody though, like western Kansas, southwestern Kansas, um, western Oklahoma didn't see as much, um, but uh, their, their rain chances aren't done yet. So um, overall, it was a pretty good week's worth of rainfall across a lot of, uh, a lot of the country. Definitely. A lot of folks needed that moisture. It's that time of year. We'd love to see those pastures get greened up, save whatever crops we can here. And that's that winter crops. John, looking out to the week ahead, does the potential for that moisture stay with us? Yeah, well, uh, something a little interesting. Last week, we had a forecast of Texas basically staying wet all this week, but that was a little kind of a leftover disturbance in this ridge is uh, this, this little upper level low it's now actually drifting a bit and it's gotten into the Ozarks so we've, we're seeing some uh, showers kind of around Missouri and, and eastern Kansas and Oklahoma uh, that little system uh, is now forecast to move through the Ohio Valley for tomorrow and so we'll see showers kind of move that way and then far to the southeast after that so for the beginning half of this week it's kind of the southern half of the country uh, that we'll see some showers in there uh, maybe see some pockets of heavier rainfall in there too. And I know central Missouri is looking at uh, 
at the situation and, and begging for some of those showers. I think they'll get a little bit more uh, than what they did over the weekend too. So that'll be good for them. Um, outside of that, uh, really the pattern points to kind of a, a drier situation. However, we've got a little disturbance moving through that and uh, it'll be dropping a cold front here throughout the, the, the country here later this week. That kind of starts in the Northern Plains on Wednesday and then kind of moves through the Southern Plains, Midwest Thursday and Friday, and then uh, off the East Coast on Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, last week, this front didn't look very interesting. It looked like maybe maybe some scattered showers on it, maybe some, you know, briefly cooler temperatures, but it's a little bit stronger now. And so um, we're, we're looking at some uh, increased chances for rainfall, uh, especially across those kind of central Southern Plains areas. So uh, like I mentioned, Western Kansas and Oklahoma, I didn't really see a whole lot last week. Uh, have another uh, at least chance here of getting some decent precipitation uh, later this week. It looks mostly in the kind of Thursday, Friday time frame for them. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm just curious, that that cold front, as that comes in in the Pacific Northwest, John, is it going to be bringing any moisture there to those northern, northwestern states? Uh, through the northern plains, yeah, but, you know, it it's it's coming from canada and it's trying to find some moisture to do so it doesn't have a whole lot up there honestly um even after the rainfall but um you know maybe a half inch or so across montana into the dakotas minnesota not much but once it gets kind of deeper into the south across uh, uh you know the central and eastern midwest we could see some kind of thunderstorms picking up in there and uh dropping some heavier rain um you know, obviously models are scattered with all that, uh, but it looks like it's some decent chances for one to two inches of rain for some of these areas uh, from West Texas and Western Kansas um, through maybe Michigan and Ohio. All right. We'll see that moisture, see if that moisture does develop here. John, let's talk temperatures. As we get deeper into spring, it has been, it felt to me anyway, largely cool so far this year. Are we going to start to see things heat up in the coming weeks? Well, it definitely was in March and, and for most of April. Uh, the last... I think it was the last week of April, maybe it was the first week of May. I'm kind of losing my history here. Uh, we finally saw that kind of reverse. And you know, even with the rain that came through last week, um, we saw a lot of good uh, warm temperatures, lots of 70s and 80s and some 90s across the south. Uh, we seem to be kind of locked in that pattern right now. Um, you know, this cold front that comes through later this week does drop temperatures down a good, you know, 10, 15 degrees, but it's like a one or two day event and uh, they come popping back up here for the weekend and early next week. So uh, overall, things things are looking um, pretty warm, at least, and you know, at least not below normal to any significant extent or for any extended period of time, uh, at least moving into June. And by the time we get to June, you know, our normal temperatures are quite warm and should be summer-like. So uh, the era of kind of really cold temperatures is, is over. I know we did see a little bit of frost and freezes over northern Michigan. Uh, this morning. And there is, I guess, some potential for that um, if conditions kind of uh, be become perfect again in the same area on Wednesday morning. But that's a lot of wooded area um, and forest and, and not too much agricultural land. So I don't think there'll be too many issues uh, for too many folks out of that. All right, John. Well, as we get deeper into summer, of course, as you've mentioned before, we should start to see more of those El Nino impacts. Temperatures down there in the Southern Pacific, are they still pushing us into an El Nino? Yes. Uh, and if you look at um, a map of, of sea surface temperature anomalies, what you'll notice is a big warm pool of water off the coast of South America. 
but over the central Pacific, it's a little bit cooler and you can kind of trace that back to uh, cooler waters off the coast of California um, with how they had those, you know, we talked about that um, crazy active weather pattern that California had, um, all those weather systems moving through. Uh, it really produced some really cool temperature, cool waters um, there off the coast of California. And those are kind of bleeding into the central Pacific now. So they're kind of holding back the, the, the start of El Nino a bit. Um, how long that lasts is kind of questionable, but I would say um, probably the uh, the early parts of June will we'll actually cross that threshold into El Nino. Uh, so we've got another couple of weeks yet, but um, uh, we're, we're definitely headed that way. And it's almost uh, impossible not to reach El Nino uh, for this year. All right. All right. So could see that start to impact weather patterns. As you mentioned, we get past that July date, John. We haven't spent a lot of times talking about production in the southeastern part of the U.S. Of course, they have had ample moisture so far this year. Those crops are well in the ground down in that part of the country. How do things look over the next uh, next week or so for the southeast? Yeah, not bad. You know, there are there have been some spots, you know, a lot of their showers have come kind of scattered and there are some little drier patches around there. It's not anything overly concerning. Um, but there have been some drier areas. Uh, they'll get more of these kind of isolated showers here throughout the course of the week. One with that that one system, I, I that upper low mentioned uh, for early in the week, and then kind of late week and weekend, they get that front coming through. Um, so they've got some chances for showers moving through. Um, it's keeping those soils mostly in, in good shape, uh, and for the the crop that's in the ground, uh, should definitely benefit uh, from from the weather at least for the next week. Uh, it may turn drier next week. Um, not 100% sure on that, uh, but um, you know things are looking pretty good there in, in the southeastern states for right now. All right, John, before we let you go, one of the stories that's popped up on my radar here over the past two weeks has been this drought in Spain. It certainly seems pretty profound. Is that something you're keeping an eye on, and do you know how it looks from here? Absolutely, Mike. Um, it's been oh, not only just the drought, but um, earlier this spring, they had intense heat as well. Lots of days in the eighties and nineties when it should be in the sixties. So, um, they've, they've just kind of been baking there in, um, uh, in Spain recently. Um, over the weekend, they actually had some, you know, not great showers, but some, and it's been keeping temperatures, you know, back, back to where they should be this time of year. It's kind of a, uh, low pressure center drifting around the Mediterranean Sea. And occasionally it's it's bringing in now showers here this week as well. So, um, you know, things are not looking as bad as they had been before, but I mean, they're, they're in such deep drought that, it, you know, it's kind of like the Southwestern Plains where it's gonna take more than just, you know, a week's worth of decent rainfall to pull them out. Um, so they're, I know their winter wheat crop is, has been hurting for sure. And, and uh, their corn and their spring crops will be as well. We'll see if some of these showers kind of help them out or not. All right, folks, keep an eye on Europe. Agriculture is a global industry. We've been talking with meteorologist John Baranek of DTN. And John, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Folks, stick around. Darren Newsom from Bar Chart will join us when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free, and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. It's been a risk on sentiment today in the commodities as optimism emerges that the White House will reach an agreement with the Republican House to lift the debt ceiling prior to the feared default. Now, traders will also be listening closely to the plethora of Federal Reserve members scheduled to speak publicly this week. More rate hikes are possible, according to Atlanta Fed Reserve President Raphael Bostic in comments that he made early this morning. Bostic stated that he doesn't expect any rate cuts this year because inflation is likely to be stickier than those in the market believe. And if anything, we may have to go up. Bostic admitted that there has definitely been progress on inflation, but the appropriate policy currently is to wait and see how much the economy slows from the policy actions taken so far. However, his bias going forward continues to be that rates may need to go a bit higher to do the job of getting inflation down to the 2% mandated level. Fed fund futures are currently trading a pause in rate hikes going forward with rate cuts starting in September with up to three overall cuts in place by the end of the year. And no talks are scheduled on the Ukraine grain initiative this week with the deadline rapidly approaching on Thursday. One of the keys to the process continues to be Turkey, which held a presidential election over the weekend. However, that election so far has failed to name a winner. Observers currently project a runoff necessary likely on May 28th. Current President Erdogan has 49.24% of the votes so far, according to state media, with his primary opponent having 45% with 91% of the votes counted. Accusations of vote counting irregularities are clouding the process. Erdogan has been a key component in maintaining the Green Initiative while also being a friend to Russia's President Putin. Both the Dow and NASDAQ are lower, the VIX is trading around 18, while the dollar leaks lower and crude oil firms up to around $70, $71 a barrel. For the American Ag Network, I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going. <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA marches on today, and now our topic turns to the markets. We've got some green on the screen in the grains today, and joining us now for an update on what all is moving in those markets is Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst with Bar Chart. Darren, thanks for joining us today. As always, thanks for having me on again, Mike. Now, Darren, I'm just going to punt this one to you right off the bat. We've got some green on the screen today. Is this because of what we learned on Friday's government uh, USDA supply and demand report? Well, given that we learned absolutely nothing on Friday's supply and demand report, I'm going to say no. Uh, there, there wasn't anything in that report of any value whatsoever. So, uh, no, I think what we've got going on today is basically we're into the second half of May right now, the last month of spring. And, you know, we've got uh, we've got other market factors certainly coming into play. What's jumping out at you, Darren? You mentioned we're into May. We're seeing that old crop get even smaller and smaller. What's it doing here? Yeah, we've still got firm basis in both corn and soybeans. And so that tells us there's still good demand for tight supplies. And we know our available supplies are tight because basis has remained strong for so long. But the big thing to me last Friday was, was two parts. Uh, one was the May contracts going off the board. We saw May expire uh, with cut, we were holding large inverses in corn, soybeans, wheat, and so on uh, to, uh, to the July contracts. And so you know, that opens the door for the Julys to try to cover some of that ground, uh, gain some of that back before they expire in the middle of the, uh, a couple months down the road. So you've got some big inverses to try to cover at this point. Also, if we look at the CFTC commitment to traders reports, uh, as of last Tuesday, we saw non-commercial traders still holding a, a net short position of 59,000 contracts in corn. That's a lot of contracts. And there's there's a lot of potential short covering that could lift this market, particularly given that we still have tight supply and demand. So, I mean, there was some things that were going on last Friday that actually meant something. And of course, there was, you know, a lot of noise made about stuff that meant absolutely nothing. Darren, we've got that tight supply and demand. You mentioned the strong basis. We've seen that with us since October or August, mm -hmm. rather, of 2020, that strong basis out in the countryside. Are we continuing to see demand deplete, though? Are we chewing that basis down? Uh, in, in, in corn, ever so slightly. In beans, maybe just a little bit. We've reached that time of year where basically we're down to uh, we're down to crush demand for, for domestic soybeans right now. Not a lot of exports going out. It'll be interesting to see what this morning's uh, what Monday morning's uh, weekly export inspections numbers are for last you know through last Thursday, uh, which sets the stage for this coming Thursday's weekly export sales and shipments update. My guess is it's still going to be a little bit slow. Uh, corn exports also a little bit slow, most likely. So that also means that we're seeing mostly domestic demand. Uh, we still have a lot of cattle to feed. That's still going on. Uh, basis across the Southern Plains still looking strong. Uh, and ethanol demand basically is just a constant. So, you know, yes, we are starting to see demand leak out a little bit. Some of it's seasonal, uh, but the real concern is probably corn exports still. But we have to ask ourselves, is part of the problem simply because we don't have the corn? Well, and if that's the case, Darren, that would be bullish, I'd assume, longer term. But if we do have the corn and their export partners are just buying elsewhere, that could be a pretty bearish scenario. Are you nervous about getting any December 23 corn priced in here before we potentially lose more exports? 
You know, it, it, it's it's a tough call in here. It, from a technical point of view, December corn, it, it did exactly what it needed to do through the first half of May. It extended its long-term downtrend. It got within sight of $5 and it seemed to bottom out. Now, if we can get a reversal, we've already got a reversal going on its daily chart. We could build this week a, a bullish reversal on its weekly chart. And then that sets the stage for a potential bullish reversal on the long-term monthly chart. Yes, we know there's more acres. We knew there was more acres uh, from you know this, the, the September through February timeframe. And we saw Deese buying acres away from November soybeans. We also knew, as John talked about, that La Nina was coming to an end and El Nino was beginning. So the weather was going to be better for those acres. So even if you just took you know what we knew about the market, we should expect larger production. And that's still going to hang over the head of the December contract moving forward. From a technical point of view, I think this thing could get more bullish. From a fundamental point of view, it could get more bearish. And so it's going to be a very interesting, it's going to be a very interesting dynamic in the in the new crop corn market as we make our way through spring. Well, an interesting dynamic, Darren, that might be a way to describe what's been happening in the wheat classes here over the past three weeks, mm -hmm. we've or past three months rather. We've got an explosive move to the upside today. Can you bring us up to speed and what's happening on wheat? What are we seeing the managed money do in the wheat? In the, in the wheat market, what we saw Friday was basically, you know, we go back to the, the, the inverse in the May-July as the May-Kansas City contract went off, July shot up and uh, and took it out. And it had every right to be because, you know, we have very strong inverse everywhere you look in the Kansas City future spread. So there's nothing fundamentally bearish about Kansas City and, and funds saw that. And so, you know, as of last Tuesday, the funds had already covered their net short position. It wasn't a large net short, but it was enough to get everyone's attention. Uh, and they already moved back to a, a net long. You know, hard red winter looks to be one of those markets you just want to own uh, and you wanted to own it as it was getting beaten up for no reason whatsoever because it is fundamentally sound. But you can contrast that with the July, September Chicago spread, the new crop Chicago spread closed at 69 percent calculated full commercial carry Friday because and, and, and that's bearish with 67 percent kind of the threshold. And, you know, again, we can look at the world situation, even though there is some questions about Spain and parts of Europe. But overall, you know, the U.S. Uh, soft red winter situation, the global soft red winter wheat situation, this isn't it, there's just plenty of it to go around at this point. Uh, and that hasn't changed and it doesn't look like it's going to change. So you do have some you do have some split opinions in, in the wheat sector itself. Bullish Kansas City and Minneapolis spring wheat, bearish Chicago soft red winter. And we'll see which one of those wins. To me, Kansas City will probably be the leader. Darren, while we're talking Kansas City, we've got the July contract trading north of $9 today. You look yeah. like the, you mentioned that the strategy is to own it, own it when it's getting beat up. Do you still like owning it at $9? Is there still yeah. some, some gravy on this? Yeah, because, you know, just from a technical point of view, if we don't look at anything else, just and we don't even you know pay attention to the, the inverted future spreads, we don't really have, if we look at the charts, there's not much resistance between $9 and $10. The market just didn't spend much time there. Uh, and we're actually at price levels we haven't seen since last November. So, you know, and, and the net long future position only went to like a thousand contracts or so in Kansas City. So there's room for them to add. So if they want to be buying thing, if they want to be buying a market, if, if funds are looking to buy something back against some of the other markets, some of the Chicago markets, they'll they could certainly be looking at Kansas City because it does have the most bullish 
uh, inver inverted forward curve, the most, it should say, the most bullish forward curve going uh, in, in the grain and oil seeds. While we're talking wheat, Darren, there are conversations happening right now that the Black Sea Grain Export Corridor might mm -hmm. not get renewed here following Thursday. From a fundamental perspective, is that going to change much in the global wheat trade ecosystem not a bit. here in 23? Okay. Not a bit. It's Russia. You can't take anything they say uh, to mean anything. They've already stolen anything of value out of the Ukraine uh, Black Sea ports. We know that Ukraine didn't get a lot planted last year, so we don't really have to worry about what they're going to harvest this summer and this fall. Uh, it means nothing, but it makes a lot of headlines and gives people something to talk about. But the reality is it just, you know, the world has reshuffled the supply and demand deck and they've basically dealt, you know, Ukraine out of it. Russia continues to sell its grain, continues to sell the grain that it has stolen from Ukraine, uh, but really it doesn't change anything. All right, Darren, we'll continue to watch what happens there in Eastern Europe, but it's interesting to see that becoming less relevant to market factors. Certainly relevant to market factors are record prices, Darren, and we're still mm -hmm. in that area here for the cattle complex. Both live and feeders continue to move higher. What are your thoughts here as we move into this third week of record or near record pricing? It's really something to watch because, you know, it's not a market that I want to buy. But I'm also not going to be the first one to sell it. I, I, you know, about every weekend, I, I come and look at the, the charts and I say, hey, this looks like a market that's topping out. You know, we give you the live cattle feeder cattle could be boxed beef. And then by the end of the week, it really doesn't do anything. So I, I always go back to Newsom's rule number 4A, uh, a market that can't go down, won't go down. That certainly seems to be the case in cattle. Again, I don't want to buy them up here. Uh, if anything, the volatility is relatively low. You can continue to slide some puts in on this market in case it does decide to break. But for now, you, know, you just have to go along with the trend hasn't changed. Uh, you know, the buyers are still there and we'll just have to see how far they want to push this thing before it actually does top out. Before it tops out, a lot of folks are watching for broader economic factors to mm -hmm. figure out when that thing's going to top. Darren, are you concerned about a capital R recession coming this year? Absolutely not. Could it happen? Yes. But in a piece that I'll be posting on, on bar chart on Tuesday, you know, I, I was, besides all of the chatter and, and the stuff about the about USDA last Friday, the other thing that stood out to me was one uh, was one news media group talking about how how bearish markets were here in the U.S., the U.S. and its bearish markets. They're not bearish. I mean, you, you can go across the board. You can go by definition. You can do whatever you want to do. And it doesn't fit any of what it takes to have bearish markets uh, in, in stocks, bonds, you know, even getting to be that way in commodities. So no, I'm, I'm not overly worried about a recession. It could always happen, absolutely. And then it comes down to, okay, what are the economists calling it a recession? It doesn't matter. Uh, it seems like we've turned the corner, stocks are trending up, bond prices are trending up, and we're starting to see commodities trend up as well with the idea that, uh, the, that uh, US Federal Reserve is gonna slow or pause, I should say, it's, it's interest rate increases and possibly start to decrease them here this summer. Interesting. So the man managed money, the big money traders are thinking, well, maybe this inflation bid might have to come back for commodities. Darren, is that what you're saying? It's possible, yes. And again, you know, we've, we've long said that th these funds are going to look for markets that are fundamentally bullish. And while there's not as many as there were before, I mean, you could still look, crude oil is an inverted forward curve. Gold has been pushing higher. Uh, wheat, we talked about it. Corn still has bullish uh, supply and demand long term as far as the spreads go. So, I mean, if they're going to start drawing some money in, it certainly could be this case, particularly if they're, you know, the idea now is that the, the dollar could start to weaken or continue to weaken. Uh, but again, they're going to have to battle with the, with the equities that, that are also showing uptrends and bonds that are showing uptrends. So, I mean, maybe commodities have played out a little bit, but I still think some of these some of these more bullish fundamental markets, uh, fundamentally bullish markets are going to continue to draw some attention. 
All right. It is going to be an interesting summer, it sounds like, from an economic perspective. Folks, we've been talking with Darren Newsom, Senior Analyst over at Bar Chart. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Always enjoy the conversation, Mike. Folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA when we return in just a moment. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. It's the most important race of the year. The one where winning is everything. Where the decisions you make now can and will define your entire season. The yields you're dreaming of are either won here or lost here. This is Corn Sprint 2023. You win it with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Specially formulated to make nutrients more available during the most critical uptake periods and strengthen root systems for better absorption. It's the kind of edge that gets your crops all the way to the finish line. With greater yield potential, greater return on your fertilizer investment, and just plain old greatness. So win the corn sprint. Include Biopath in your early season fertilizer application. Contact your local retailer or visit cornsprint.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs 
or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer Camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, AOA continues today, and we'll be talking about issues in Washington, D.C. a lot over the next several weeks as both conversations around the 2023 Farm Bill accelerate um, the House and Senate Ag Committees, but also because we have this debt ceiling negotiation, or at least conversation, expected to be happening in Washington, D.C. Last week, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was expected to sit down with President Joe Biden to hammer out some details about raising the debt limit. The Treasury Secretary has said that potentially as soon as June 1st, the U.S. government could run out of free cash flow in order to pay its bills. That would result in a technical default. I mean, the one of the first times this country has ever seen one, and the market is starting to pay it mind. Last Friday, as I mentioned, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden were expected to get together and have these negotiations in person. They punted. That meeting didn't happen due to scheduling conflicts late last week. They have said their staffers are continuing to have conversations. And tomorrow, Biden and McCarthy will be getting together as of now, in order to have these conversations and see how things look. It is worth noting the Biden administration earlier today said talks were, quote, moving along, while National Economic Director Lael Brainerd said the negotiations were both serious and constructive. So potentially some progress being made in Washington, D.C. We'll continue to watch the newswires to see if those two groups can hammer out any details. And the reason we talk about that a lot in the context of agriculture is because this farm or this debt ceiling negotiation has pulled in some of the arguments about SNAP funding, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program funding, formerly called food stamps. And SNAP funding has been, or SNAP usage, I should say, has been much higher. And we got an update on that last week from the Congressional Budget Office. Every so often, they take a look through the 10-year baseline 
what they do is they look at the costs of the program now. They look at anticipated changes in those costs. Right now, of course, those anticipated changes are inflationary, so they're pushing the price up. And then the CBO reevaluates how much the changes in the program's cost might have been from when it was passed, and this farm bill was passed back in 2017, to today, how much have those costs changed? And unsurprisingly, I think for most folks, this current farm bill is the most expensive in history. The Congressional Budget Office updated their projections, and they said the SNAP spending and lower commodity prices will boost the total spending for this farm bill to $1.48 trillion. That's trillion with a T. In this most recent round of projection updates, the CBO added $28 billion to the baseline. They split that between $18 billion in higher SNAP costs and $10.4 billion in higher outlays or commodity supports. Think of uh, crop insurance. Think of some of those federal programs from the FSA office. Those added $10.5 billion to the cost of this farm bill. Now, changes in the baseline have offsetting effects. More money is available when these projections are increased. But commodity groups, folks involved in the ag industry say there is need for more additional federal support. Leaders in both the House and Senate ag committees met President Biden last week to discuss the importance of passing a farm bill this year and to do it in a bipartisan uh, fashion. And they note that it is a safety net for both farmers and consumers, and it's an investment in our rural communities and the health of the American people. That battle between higher costs for some of these programs that many Americans rely on and bringing down the overall cost of funding this government is going to be the hot battle of the conversation in Washington all summer long. We've also got some interesting stories coming out of Brazil. If you listen to this program a lot, you know we've talked a lot about Brazil. Their relevance in the global ag market continues to grow as their acreage under production expands and their ability to finance and export goods in that country continues to grow as well. Well, they've got a new president, Lula da Silva, uh, took office back in October. And one of the things Lula has pledged in Brazil is to clean up deforestation in the Amazon. That is something he has taken to the international stage. He's been much applauded in Europe for allegedly taking this seriously and working to preserve that Amazon rainforest. Now, about two weeks ago, the University of Illinois Farm Doc team did some research, and they have found that across much of the crop growing areas in Brazil, farmland prices have doubled since 2019. The cost of an acre of soybean production ground in Brazil is now almost the same as the cost of an acre of soybean producing ground in the state of Illinois. Incredible gains in the value of Brazilian farmland. That's story one. Story two, Lula da Silva's administration announced early today that deforestation in the Amazon is down 68% from a year ago. Now, that really takes me by surprise. If land prices are nearly doubling in the other parts of Brazil, I find it hard to believe that this year, perhaps 70% fewer folks are looking to expand their acreage with affordable ground in Brazil. Now, it's worth noting that uh, this claim comes from the Brazilian government and Lula da Silva won last year's election. A big part of that was pledging to end deforestation after years of it allegedly surging under his predecessor, uh, Jair Bolsonaro. Sonara. 
We'll see if these numbers can be verified from somebody outside the Brazilian government. But as of now, that presidency of Lula da Silva will be getting many accolades for reducing the amount of acreage under production. I will be curious to see if that verifies. I think that would be a rarity that ground prices have surged and we have not seen some of the cheapest ground also see an expansion in production as well. Time will tell. Before we let you go, however, we do have some continued updates on the spread of highly pathogenic avian influenza. We've talked about it not just in the context of America, where that disease has claimed 60 million birds across the country over the last two years. It's also impacting producers around the globe. And France has been one of those poultry producers also most impacted. And they've also been one of the most aggressive. And they are looking to put together a vaccine for bird flu. They note that the disease has killed hundreds of millions of birds, disrupted the supply of poultry meat and eggs, and they are looking to get that vaccination campaign going in the country of France. Don't have any proposals to do anything like that here in the United States, but we will stay up to speed on what's moving with HBAI. Thanks for tuning in to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Join us tomorrow. We'll break down more issues that are impacting the ag industry. Take care and have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.